Well, this is the uh, Pavarana day in which we, the custom is uh, what the, the, the end of the Vasa period and the full moon of October, which is today. Uh, those of us who've spent the past three months together uh, in the rains retreat, the Vasa, uh, we, we make Pavarana, which is to uh, make ourselves open to admonishment and to uh, any faults, any misunderstandings, anything that uh, we have done and uh, or seem to have done anything. It's a way of of uh, they opening ourselves up to uh, reflection on behavior and on our life as uh, samanas uh, in order to be able to they rectify things uh, uh, shortcomings in our behavior misunderstandings problems that arise in any communal situation uh, of course this is this is uh, ordinary there's always some you know, the, one of the great problems is through communication, protocol, systems, uh, attitudes, ideas, misunderstandings. People get uh, the wrong impression, get wrong ideas, or or expect something that uh, is not there, or or all kinds of of human emotions are are manifested in our life together. And in a in a monastic community, this is a very skillful device that we can use to uh, so that we can uh, learn how to they uh, live in a way that that uh, we we begin to develop wisdom and compassion in our lives uh, because this is within our human potential. But oftentimes, uh, this is not highly developed if we're too. Uh, self-centered or too conceited, too much uh, convinced of our own righteousness or uh, or believe in in our own thoughts and and attitudes and opinions. I find it an absolute necessity to have feedback, to have some kind of reflection for uh, action and speech because, uh, of course, you can't, sometimes you don't know yourself how you are affecting people unless they tell you I mean, one can just go along with an idea that everybody likes me when actually they can't stand me or because I'm the senior monk I I can you know everybody puts on a, a show of your respect and gives the appropriate smiles and does the appropriate things but uh, but inside they feel very uh, rejected or very Annoyed with my behavior or whatever, and so, uh, and if these things are not brought into some kind of uh, awareness, then how are we supposed to know? I mean, conceit is one of the human problems, isn't it? A, a kind of conceit in, in our and a, and a commitment to our own views, and and this uh, is, of course, one of the basic delusions of vivicha ignorance of the Four Noble Truths is that we we can easily convince ourselves by all kinds of rational reasons uh, that our particular opinion is the is the right one 
And of course, you can see in the world situation that everybody's doing this. Everybody, one can rationalize almost any kind of thing, any crime, any murder, any lie, any form of misconduct. Uh, uh, can be. You can find rational reasons. You can rationalize it, defend it as something that has to be done. So the rationalizing uh, ability we have is, is sometimes great, is misused, used to deceive ourselves and to deceive others. In monastic community, you, you agree to a, a, a common ground of behavior. They have nonviolence, ahimsa, of moral precepts. It's like the uh, Anagarika is taking the eight precepts. Uh, three refuges and the eight precepts. It's a, it's a, an agreement on on restraint. How we're going to live together in this community and in the society that we live in. We now say, as samanas or people under the vows of of, of uh, celibacy or brahmacharya, uh, and and taking the the precepts to uh, refrain from actions and unskillful speech. So that in, in this way there is a level of, of commitment to, to an intention in our lives to uh, say, be able to uh, provide a, 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 a foundation in which there's a level of trust and respect that we can't possibly have if each one is, is doing their own thing, determining how, what they want to do and, and uh, following their own maybe impulses or in inclinations. We can see in a, in a society that's, that where there, there's so much em, uh, emphasis on freedom and, uh, to, you know, and rights, that the moral commitment is some, sometimes uh, just uh, put aside, no longer uh, respected as, as being anything worth talking about. Uh, people talk about rights as women or as, as uh, different ethnic groups or minority groups or different uh, people claiming rights uh, that they want and feel are, are necessary, but uh, you don't hear many people claiming or asking for moral rights. You know that we have a right to be to to choose morality as a foundation for our life, and of course this is the the important one, isn't it? it it's uh, the if we establish if we use that as our right, as our is what we we have a right to to live and to within, restrain ourselves and and live within the these moral precepts. And nobody has the right to ask us to break them. I mean, if even myself or the the, the big guys, the top uh, uh, ones that uh, have all the influence and power in the religious system, we ha we still have absolutely no right to ask you to break the precepts. And so, this is very important for you to 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 uh, contemplate and to treasure that uh, and sometimes in the in the Buddhist world you hear of all kinds of uh, scandals around uh, especially about sexual misconduct because teachers will 
will uh, will seek uh, sexual favors from from their students, and uh, and and because the the teacher is given so much importance and power, then the student doesn't doesn't recognize that their own rights, so they they can easily follow uh, what a, maybe a a teacher that they respect and do things that are say wrong according you know in the, they they that they shouldn't be doing because the, the teacher is asking them to to uh, do something that is not right not conducive towards spiritual development so it is very important to recognize the 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 this is a this is something you choose. You you ask for the precepts. They're not forced on you, like uh, Anagarika Allen and and the rest of you asked to be given the eight precepts. So this is this is a request, and so all of us must respect that determination, commitment to live uh, within the these eight precepts. And this is for reflection, of course, just for you to, to, to think about rights maybe in a different way. Uh, just to, to bring up the subject of rights, because it is a, a common demand now. People, people everywhere are demanding rights. Uh, and so then we think, well, we have a right to, to choose morality. That's something that, that that's a right that, that all of us, no matter what uh, gender or class or race, whatever is is, is not the issue, you know. It's not we're not, uh, but the, this is a a common ground, a bond of moral commitment that that gives us uh, uh, a stability and self-respect, and as a community, of course, gives us. A power and a and a and a kind of trustingness uh, in 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 our life together. That even though there will be inevitable personality conflicts and misunderstandings and and arguments and and so forth uh, between individuals, basically we're we're very much uh, on a, on the on the foundation that is that is uh, very pure and very good. And, and I've, when I contemplate the community here, and uh, even though on the personal level, some of you, one has certain likes and dislikes and preferences, and one can like one person better than another, and this, this kind of uh, human um, emotional uh, fluctuation takes place. But in terms of respect, one respects the whole community for its commitment to it, it to the moral foundation that it has. The other day I went to, to the, with the uh, retreat this weekend uh, with the uh, Christian Buddhist uh, retreat. Uh, they asked me last uh, Saturday to uh, yesterday to join them in a Dialogue and conversation around freedom and discipline, because these are uh, seemingly opposed 
juxtaposed. A freedom, and the idea of freedom oftentimes has this, this, uh, quali- this, uh, the, this feeling that it, we can do anything. Freedom means that we have no restraints, no restrictions on us. We can just do what we feel like. And discipline also has this, oftentimes, this uh, aura of being oppressive and, uh, and uh, tyrannical, where you, you have to obey laws and you have to, you, you can't do what you want. You have to conform. You have to be good. You have to, to uh, obey or you'll be punished. So discipline uh, to the say the worldly mind it seems can seem like something that one doesn't particularly want to be involved with. And freedom sounds very attractive. Be able to be free to do what you want, say what you want, be who you are, is a very attractive uh, ideal. And then we think of somebody who's disciplined, maybe as being repressed. They're not. They're no longer free to be what they really are. They have to obey. They have to conform to rules, precepts, regulations. Then there's another way of looking at it. Freedom to do what we want. What is the result of it? I mean, like wanting, liking and disliking and not wanting, it doesn't necessarily imply wisdom does it? I mean, we can want something that's very bad for us. We can, we can uh, like things that are, that are very dangerous and unskillful. We can become interested and fascinated by evil uh, things. Like evil is very interesting. Goodness is boring usually. We make usually blockbuster films. It's all about evil. Because it's exciting. If you made movies just about people being good, it'd be boring, wouldn't it? People don't find goodness interesting. Because it's not, goodness isn't, isn't exciting. Uh, evil is. We can think of goodness always in terms of as being, you know, faults and, and that uh, goody good or people just just living very superficially and sentimental with sentimental ideas and and uh, and, and then we can kind of romanticize uh, people that lead very degenerate lives into kind of heroes the cult heroes of the age you know the the teenage rebel that dies uh, uh, in a in a in a in a knife fight or something like that, or, or these uh, uh, ja- these uh, rock singers back in the '60s that died young, lived life to the hilt, and took drugs and had all kinds of sex and and burnt out by the time they were 23, and they're very, very interesting, attractive figures to us. The one who's been good. And, and doesn't drink, and doesn't have sex, and doesn't take drugs, and uh, is kind to her mother and father, and uh, doesn't sing raunchy songs, but sings good songs. 
we wouldn't find it wouldn't be very interesting, would it? Why is that so? <laughs> I mean, I myself find evil fascinating. Interesting and exciting. I thought, you know, make a, make a film, a cinema film about uh, a monk and a nun who lived by the Vinaya discipline their whole lives and, and, and were good uh, people that, that, uh, that practiced hard, performed their duties, understood the teaching, became enlightened, uh, and then died at, at 84 uh, in a peaceful way. It wouldn't be a very interesting film. But you get to make a movie about uh, somebody who breaks all the rules. And then th that would be probably very interesting, very exciting, popular film. So there's also this reb rebellious quality. I remember uh, in, in my teenage years just rebelling against this goodness because mother wants you to be good. My mother wanted me to be a good boy. And she brought me up to be a good boy. I went to church every Sunday, and, and for a while I was quite willing to be a good boy. Then you get to the point where you don't want to be good anymore. And so you have to, you have to get away from this uh, kind of oppressive, uh, smarmy uh, goodness that, that you kind of are feeling that you're, you're expected to be. So in our lives we do kind of break loose from from the, maybe from these expectations that people have put onto us. And we have to go out maybe and experience and experiment a bit. But when it comes to real wisdom and understanding of life, then we, we find we return to the good. And I've, I, you know, one loves the good. One enjoys, one finds joy in, in, in doing what is good. Not because I'm trying to be good, but because one loves the good. And so this is for a reflection also. What, what do we mean by that? The good, the true, the beautiful. And we're not pointing to some kind of thing or person or absolute or, or anything in, as, a, as a thing in itself. But... Just contemplate, you know, what is lovable? What, is you, what do you really love in life? What do you really like about yourself? What do you, what do you love in the, in, the, in, the, in the society? What can you really respect in yourself or in others or in the society? And what do we really long for? Do we long for a life based on fear and just excitement and and uh, thrills and and and, and I don't mean even that it, it's exciting and at one time it seems you know attractive because of the exciting quality as an experience it's very disappointing, isn't it? It's one hates oneself, one um, gets caught up into into kind of all kinds of paranoia and fear and and all kinds of, of ugly mental states take over the, our consciousness. So 
So in monastic life, notice the, noticing the, the, the effect of, of uh, they, this is the 29th Vasa, uh, 29th year is a bhikkhu, it's about half, uh, almost half of my life has been under the restraint of the Vinaya, where you, you can't, your ability to do bad things is very limited. The bad things I've done are kind of minor infringement, nothing terribly serious. Because of the commitment to the life and the restraint of action and speech and, and the love of the good and the respect for the teachings of the Buddha and, uh, and a real d- strong determination, uh, commitment to this, to this practice. To do it, to take it through to where you're willing to, to uh, you have the, you, you can see for yourself the result of it. Because you're reflecting, you can see the result of a life based on restraint, on mindfulness and using of wisdom. I like the result of it. The result is not a disappointment, it's not a... I don't feel I've wasted my life. I feel very fortunate, very privileged. But it's not been easy, this life. It's not easy to be good and to, uh, it's not easy to, to live under precepts and to live in monastic communities. It's not an easy life. Because uh, a commitment to it means that you, you have to really uh, endure through all kinds of, of uh, emotional and, and stressful situations. Everything will bring, will, will kind of, everything seems to come up into your consciousness. It's not that you go into a monastery and then you, you, you sit in samadhi and go into a state of bliss. And, and, and everybody's so good and so nice and, and everybody's so kind and and pure, that uh, we just kind of live our lives in, in the most kind of uh, utopian, blissful way. And you can see, even with people like Hiranamavati, uh, that, are, that are committed to, to uh, this kind of practice, to spiritual development, and yet how difficult it is to live with each other sometimes, on the personal level on the level of our egos, our conceit, our views and opinions, our preferences, our, uh, we have the, the life will trigger off all kinds of emotions, jealousies and resentments and, and uh, a kind of uh, supercilious attitudes and arrogance, bring up all kinds of fear, anxiety, frustration, exasperation, annoyance, irritation. Fed up is a word you commonly hear in this life. I'm fed up. So if the community life was an end in itself, you know, well, I think I would, I would have much rather been a hermit 
than have to uh, okay, put up with having uh, with having to live with so many people all the time. Uh, to be an, a hermit, be one of these the Taoist uh, hermits uh, you you read about. I have this book on Taoist hermits. Sounds very nice in China. I mean, and uh, it sounds, you know, I would, uh, sounds like such a nice way to live. And you can kind of sit and write poetry and listen to the sound of the water falling. And, and, and get inspired by the dewdrop on the leaf. Like in the, some of these, these Zen poems. Uh, where here sometimes you have to put up with uh, just routine and uh, and the uh, boring uh, problems that everyone has. That people hurt feelings, misunderstandings, endless. Uh, uh, you hear it over and over again for years and years. Disagreements. Uh, you know, just uh, the the and it's and you keep hearing it year after year, and you think I'd like to get away from it. Listen to the water falling, to the sound of the dragonflies or the cicadas. So the human. The human sound is a, like a kind of a whine. You know, the, the, the unenlightened human being whines about life. It's a kind of whining sound. It's like, what about me? You never think of me. You, don't, you aren't considering about my feelings and what I think and what I want. And, and uh, I... Don't like this, and I don't want to do that, and and uh, I'm fed up with this, and I don't like you anymore, and, and I want to become a Christian, or I want. <laughs> it goes on like that. But in terms of understanding the Four Noble Truths, it's uh, it's uh, it's probably the best place to be. They, Contemplating the Four Noble Truths, the community like this is, is for me, is, is, has been an uh, enormous asset and benefit for reflection in investigating the Four Noble Truths. The life here is I mean, you have you have uh, you have these different uh, like you have bhikkhus and you have siladharas and then you have anagarikas and uh, lay people. You have these different uh, seniorities, uh, uh, people that uh, become terras, uh, like uh, venerable Aryasila now is a terra, Sister Siripanya is a terra, holy terras, terras. Terrors, or you get you get a ten years, you get a you, you're called a terror, and then uh, and then 
Then there's uh, there's different uh, nawakas are like bhikkhus who are just in their five year first five years. Then majimas are after five to ten years. Then there's samaneras and and uh, all this. And then the, then there's uh, the the eight precepts. And then there's the five precepts. And then there's the ones without any precepts. And then there's uh, then there's different personalities. There's some people that are very when when they're given put in a position of of being a Terra or a Ajahn or something like that. Then they then they 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 get on a power trip. They say, I'm I'm an Ajahn now. I'm I'm a Terra. And others shrink. They say <laughs> we have different tendencies, don't we? We're not all going to react the same way. Maybe we all want to, we don't, we're trying to say, it doesn't mean anything to me, I feel, feel just the same. I've, ten years now, I feel just, just like a new bhikkhu, and I don't feel any better than, than anyone else. We can, we can give the kind of ideal, egalitarian uh, attitude of, you know, I'm, I, it doesn't, you know, I'm not, it's not gone to my head at all. Or we, you know, because we might, that's, that would be, you know, the the right way to view it. But then how do you really feel, you know? What actually happens? What takes place in your mind? Which may not be a feeling of, of equality and, and and that ideal where I'm I'm just the same, I'm, it doesn't doesn't make any difference. Uh, because this is where we need to to really look and examine what we're actually feeling. Because we, we're not going to feel the ideal of, of what we should, but feeling is the way it is. And that is some of the feelings one has are, can be pretty awful, uh, immature, silly and foolish, or arrogant or selfish, even though ideally we, we don't want to be that way. So this is where we, where mindfulness and wisdom are, is the way out of suffering. Because in a, in a community we have to deal with, with with our emotions because our emotions are, are very much, uh, you know, with us, and and we we we're not we we're living with each other in this, in this kind of a community, where we have to we see each other under all different kinds of conditions. I always like meditation retreats to give these ten day retreats are very nice because you you've you've got you meet with the people the first day and you establish noble silence and all that and then you 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 give uh, uh, interesting talks in the evening or hopefully they're interesting enough and everybody uh, you know most of the time Retreats, people appreciate them, and and then uh, and then after ten days, you you go your separate ways, so it, you you don't have to live with each other. And during the ten days, you're you're practicing in silence, so you don't have to. There's usually not much conflict, or because there's not much uh, social engagement allowed. But in the ordinariness of life, what happens? We have to. You know, decide who's going to do the dishes, the cooking, the 
who's going to be guest non guest monk who's going to receive this who's going to do that who's and and so forth and so we we find ourselves you know having to make decisions take on responsibilities uh be active in in things sometimes we're asked to do things that we don't feel very confident about or that we don't think we can do sometimes we're asked to take on responsibilities that we dread or don't want I think nice meditation retreat and say just sit there and uh, say on my retreats anyway I usually do all the talking everybody just sits there you don't have to talk <laughs> and uh, and it's uh, kind of organized in a way that it's it's uh, you know, your, the main emphasis is on silent sitting and walking. But in ordinary life, it's, it's, we can't live like that. You have to live, you have to, you know, live together. And, and we irritate, aggravate, frustrate each other because we have different views, different ideas about things. So that's where the emotion, emotional problems arise, and we, we can, and that's why it's important to recognize what that really is, to know what you're actually feeling. Also, to be able to, to bear what you're feeling, to be able to accept the way you're feeling without hating yourself for feeling what you're feeling. Because it's, even though we might feel uh, selfish or angry or what we can also hate ourselves for feeling that way and what do we do when we hate hate our anger when you hate yourself for being angry what happens to you you you, you uh, if you 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 suppress it you distract yourself because you try to uh, you know just want to to get away from it, and then then after a while you feel guilty, you feel uh, despair, and so forth, and and uh, you develop a whole kind of cycle of action and reaction that establishes itself as a as a kind of blind habit. <coughs> so in breaking those habits down is is not to is not through suppressing them, but in looking at them, accepting them, knowing them for what they are. So in uh, Refuge of Buddha Dhamma Sangha, this, uh, this uh, is a awareness. The Buddha is the awakened mind, knows the Dhamma. So our this is our refuge. This is something to trust and to rest in. The ability to be awake and observe what you're feeling, not judging it. The Buddha isn't a judge, but knower of the world. So, so the world or the, the condition or the emotion is this way. It's like this. And so in the... the uh, practice according to the four foundations of mindfulness of the Satipatthana this is a, 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 a style that we have in this tradition in which we begin to observe as mental objects the feeling of the moment the mood 
the condition that's present. Not in terms of whether we like it or approve or don't like it or don't approve of it, but for what it really is. It's just what it is. It's impermanent, it's unsatisfactory, and it's anatta, it's not self. So we reflect on it in with the three characteristics. Rather, they aren't judgments. They're not. They're not uh, saying it's anything uh, else or that it's good or bad. But it is noticing that whatever arises ceases. So anger, ari- if anger arises, it ceases, and you know that every time. You never found anger arising and never ceasing. Well, at least I haven't. The only time it seems to hang on and doesn't cease is when I'm trying to get rid of it. When I'm getting impatient, I get more angry with the anger. And then I seem to prolong it, you know, for a longer time than necessary because I'm, I'm trying to, to, you know, trying to get rid of it and, I, and I'm angry with the anger. So when, we, when we're trusting in the refuge of Buddha, the pure awakenness of, of being in the present, then then we can bear with the maybe the the feelings and the and the emotions that that arise that we're present in the in the in the here and now but we're we're letting it be what it is and all conditions are impermanent sape sankara nicha sape tamanata all dhamma is not self Now, one of the the most difficult things for many of us is to be admonished. Nobody likes to be told, you know, scolded or or admonished or criticized. At least I don't know anyone, and I certainly don't. I don't like people to tell me uh, negative things or, or <clears throat> you know, if, well, personally I like to just hear the good things. Please tell me how wonderful Amaravati is and how much you love it. And tell me how much you respect me and you love Buddhism and you love monastic life and you love all the monks and all the nuns and how much you love all the Anagarikas and all the Buddhist people who come here. And also tell me, uh, you know, give me, the, give me the, the positive view, all the good things. That's very pleasant. And then if people start telling me what they don't like and what, and especially when it gets into being personal, Or there's there's things that sometimes we do that we don't re- intend to, but we we have we each have maybe irritating habits. We're not trying to be irritating; it's not intentional, but just the way we tend to look sometimes, or move, or or our just our own uh, self-importance or our own uh, habits are such that it's upsetting a person or many people or the community. 
And so when people tell you these things, you, it brings up a defensiveness. I found when people first started, uh, people were could started to admonish me, I'd feel defensive. It'd bring up this feeling of, I've got to defend myself, I'm under attack. Feeling of fear of being rejected, of being, you know, of, of, of failing, of not being good enough. It'd bring up all kinds of, of these kind of emotions, of uh, fear of, of failure and, and of being rejected and of, and of uh, you know, not being up to the, up to the mark. <clears throat> and so you, you either, you know, sink into a kind of self, uh, feeling sorry for yourself or you get very defensive and you can, you know, I, one could start saying, well, you know, you, 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 you dare to, to criticize me. But I've seen you. You know, I've seen what you do. I don't like that. And it's worse than what I do. <laughs> and so that, that's, a, that's one, one way of re reacting to a situation. Or we justify. They, well, that's just my way. You have to accept me the way I am. Uh, just watch your mind and uh, work it out in yourself and, and, uh, and uh, don't make a problem about me. I'm a, it's none of your business. Get lost. Shut up. <laughs> that kind of thing. But when you're aware of what, what actually you're feeling, it's very important to to be able to know that what it feels like with what you feel rejected or you feel under attack or you feel misunderstood or you feel sorry for yourself or you feel mis that people are picking on you or that people don't like you and all that what does it feel like because these are the the the, the great fears that 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 people have in a society isn't it we're all frightened of being rejected, of being looked down on, of being criticized. So we can make pretenses, you know, we can, we can, uh, you know, when you're in a position of power, say, I'm a very powerful position, being the, the spiritual director of all this, <laughs> uh, and the senior bhikkhus, I mean, this, this, it's more difficult, it's easier to admonish somebody who's, who's, who's junior than somebody who's senior. Because as you uh, gain status and seniority, then uh, you, you also have a, a, you know, have a sense of, of uh, you know, you, can, you have control, you can affect other people. For example, what I say, how I act, affects everyone here very strongly. Isn't it? it? Just one person like myself, I have probably more influence, more power to affect whether you're going to be happy or miserable today than any other single person. Because I'm 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 the 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 focus for this community, the, the senior member. 
as you you know as you're lesser you're not you're not you're one of many then your your influence is is not so powerful so that you know one can use that power of seniority to to get your own way or to intimidate people and you can say you know you're 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 just uh, projecting things onto me or it's just your defilements that are the problem it's not me or you can always kind of make somebody feel that they're that they are uh, that it's them that's wrong and uh, and 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 uh, oftentimes they'll believe it because they they um, many people are quite willing to believe that that is their fault so this is something that in a senior position you have to be very careful of not to misuse the power and and not to use it uh to to hide from people or to protect yourself because uh, and to to take advantage of a position but to really uh see that uh, in in a position like this senior position that your your uh, your what is your duty to the community is to is to not misuse that to try to be open and more receptive and willing to listen to the uh complaints or the criticisms or the or the admonishments of others it's not that everybody's admonishment and criticism is right they can have it all wrong uh, or and they can totally misunderstand or they can project all kinds of things or they can uh, just you know create a whole a whole uh fantasy world that it has no no truth in it but still that's not the point isn't it when we how does it affect us and so we we like, like we watch the mind, watch the heart and i found this very i remember years ago in uh, when i was a junior monk in wat pa phong in thailand i i uh, we we used to have to pass out the food like junior monks uh we that we'd collect all the food and then we'd then we'd have to pass it out to all the monks maybe there about 50 60 monks novices and agarikas sitting there sometimes 70 80 and you had to distribute this food as fairly as you can and so you know i used to find this very uh frustrating because i it made me nervous i was always afraid i, I there wouldn't be enough i'd be kind of looking around and 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 uh if so like if a senior monk asked for two spoonfuls of something uh, how can i refuse a senior monk and <coughs> is there going to be enough left for the anagarika at the end of the line and and uh, so i used to dread this this uh, having to to distribute the food in the morning and it was a real you know just a, i made it into a real source of suffering for myself and then one day i had this idea as instead of thinking about all this all the time and worrying because usually it worked out all right there it, it wasn't really a problem 
there's always enough food and and everybody ha- you you know had enough and uh, it wasn't like that that there was any real problem but it was just this this fear of being criticized of being responsible uh of just having to think and and do something uh in in a and and uh and where I'd rather not have to be that have that duty if I could just sit there I'd take whatever they gave me that was easier or just sit there behind your bowl and they put whatever into your bowl that was easy for me but actually you know go along and and distribute it was was I created into a into a real problem for myself and then one day I had this uh, I had this insight into just looking kind of concentrate more on my heart than stay up in my head so I started with this passing out the food I concentrated more by just uh, being bringing my attention more down just to the physical to this heart part of your body right here and then I I kind of established my awareness more on this level where I wasn't thinking up in the brain on this level in the heart and I started passing out the food and I and at the end of it I felt quite peaceful that if I stayed more on the heart level rather than up in the head worrying and trying to get everything right and and that by by thinking all the time that I actually that actually passing out food ended up being quite tranquilizing surprisingly enough because when I was more centered in the heart then I wasn't being I wasn't thinking in 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 these in these in these habitual ways in the kind of frightened anxious worried way that I would tend to uh the react to that particular scene so that that was quite I remember that for having this insight if I just bring if I stay more with the body with the and with the the heart part of my body just just learn to to be more there than than trying to to figure everything out in in and understand everything analytically critically that that the life of a monk was much more was a quite a pleasant lifestyle on the heart level it was very pleasing where on the intellectual level <coughs> i could it could bring up all kinds of uh, you know frustrate uh, you know criticisms i could always you know see things i didn't like or didn't want or made me doubt and and make me frightened or whatever but if i established more as mindfulness from on the heart level then i would uh, i found the life much more i mean on the in the really a very pleasant uh experience because it, and it is it is a life based on goodness on kindness on generosity on moral responsibility on loving kindness on equanimity but as soon as i went back into the old mental frameworks of of my uh, conditioned mind the intellectual conditioning of the mind the the views and opinions and so forth then i was you know it's always you know, frustrated by the life 
because there's always something that, you know, like you, you, even even when the life seemed, you know, I remember being in in uh, in a monastery where I thought, you know, a monastery, a branch monastery, where I really liked it, and I thought I really love this monastery, and uh, I, and you know, I want to stay here the rest of my life. And then the following year, everything fell apart. People, it was, it, was, it was hilarious, really, what happened. Because in Uborn province, where we lived, it was not particularly like a tourist area. And uh, there were not particularly places of outstanding beauty or, uh, for tourists. And, <clears throat> but this monastery that I lived in uh, was quite beautiful you know, naturally beautiful. And so, suddenly, there, there's this American Air Force base, this was during the Vietnam War, this American Air Force base in Uborn, and, and American people were coming into Uborn, and, and people from Bangkok, and they wanted to go sightseeing. So then they heard, there's this American monk at this place, and the highways department built a road into the place, and then the then the the GI started coming up there in busloads, on on having holidays with their girlfriends, transistor radios, and I found you know people playing transistor radios and uh, rock music, dancing and drinking booze, in the monastery. <laughs> and this was the monastery that I was I wanted to live the rest of my life in. <laughs> and I got so angry, I just I was just so angry and indignant. I made this big sign, I think it's still there, I'm saying no drinks, no no liquor allowed, no radios, uh, do not hold hands with... <laughs> no dancing. <laughs> of course, it was, didn't really, it wasn't really that much of a problem. It, 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 it was a short-lived uh, thing, but it, uh, when it did arouse this, this, this anger and resentment and in a place that I was already set up for and lived the rest of my life in because it was so, so idyllic. And so the, that I could, you know, I wasn't watching my mind. I was just very much, you know, forming attachments to a particular place and, and, and an ideal. I, want, I had an ideal of how I wanted it to be and how I wanted to live. And when that, that was frustrated or changed and... And then all I could feel was anger and uh, resentment and indignation. But coming more on the heart level, then I began to observe that. And Lung Po Cha was very good at pointing that out about, you know, the suffering was, he, he would say, Sumato, you really are expert at creating suffering. He used to make these statements, uh, say these statements to me in groups, you know, because, and, and, but it would have its effect because, uh, uh, you know, where I could feel, you know, I'd tell Ajahn Chah, we can't allow this to happen in the monastery. These, 
people coming up and playing transistor radios and drinking liquor and they shouldn't, it's, it's bad, it's terrible. And, he, and he'd say, you poor thing, you're really suffering, aren't you? He was trying to draw him in to get in angry too. <laughs> but he was pointing at, you know, I was creating, it wasn't really the, 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 the situation. But it was what I was, my reaction to it, there was, was a suffering. And that impressed me very strongly, that, that it was, you know, the, you know, even though I, I felt very righteous about my anger, yet I was creating it, and I was, I was making it, I was producing it, because I didn't like the, what was happening. Then people say, what are we supposed to do? Just, you know, let everything go on and just, you know, not do anything. That's not it either. But in terms of, of finding a place in yourself where, where you can, uh, say, understand things as they are, you can't just react to, to, the, to the praise and blame and good fortunes and misfortunes of the worldly condition. Because we don't have that much control over over things in the world. We can't try. Every time I've tried to control a monastery and and make it conform to my ideal, I've been totally frustrated by it. Just by me trying to make this monastery into a nice, peaceful place uh, according to an ideal I have, and there's always something coming along to to challenge you. And if you don't see what you're doing, then you're always, you know, you, you, you just think, I want to go, I'm fed up, I, I want to go back to town, I want to go and live in a cave. Because your idea of a cave is that, that uh, it's going to be, none of these things are going to happen. Rajan Virdamo's story about living in a cave And in Thailand, and and reveling in the beauty and tranquility of it, and wake up one morning and find that the elephants are defecating in his water supply. That's worse than rock music. <laughs> Now the going back to the, to to looking at and just the, you know actually your body you can act, if you use it it's not just it's not just uh, being kind of uh, you know talking in abstractions but actually when you bring attention to the to the body because the body is a very obvious formation it's kind of it's more solid than your thoughts and emotions so it is it is something to to use, to it's a help. See it, you know, that your body, physical body is a is a tool to use for meditation. Because you can focus, bring attention to whatever part of the body you you happen to think of, just by thinking of it. 
And if you bring attention, especially to the like the heart or the or the abdomen and the this, the trunk of the body, you it uh, you begin to understand like anger and and uh, fear and, and these kind of emotions. Uh, you can feel them. The body physical feelings almost of, uh, that you have. You know they're they're not just emotional kind of things, but they act, you can actually feel uh, strong sensations in your in your guts when you're frightened or heat when you're angry. And that which is aware and brings attention to that, the, this refuge in the Buddha, this ability to be mindful of it, is establishing your relationship with feeling and with mood, with the conditions of body and mind. But the relationship that isn't personal anymore, it's coming from awareness, which is not personal. Awareness is, is a natural state of the mind. It's the purity of, uh, that we, you know, it's not, it's not, awareness is not culturally conditioned. To be aware, you don't, you, you, it's not, not being, you know, uh, Asian or European or male or female or anything. It's it's an, it's the it's when you're it's the ability to be awake. It's a it's a natural state to rest in. Very simple and very direct. But uh, and and to to develop this uh, the pavana, developing this mindfulness, using trusting in this awareness. And so then, then your body and the and how it feels and the the mood you're in. Like when you're really mindful, you can become aware when you're in a kind of bad mood or a bit cross, or you're feeling you're not feeling so good, or you're feeling a bit of dread. You know, sometimes you wake up in the morning and you and you have this feeling of dread in your mind. If you're aware of it, then you can, you can, you can see the dread is a condition of the mind. Otherwise, if you don't, if you don't recognize it for what it is, it tends to influence how you react the rest of the day. It underlies things, and it 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 stains, it it uh, disturbs your life if you don't recognize it. And that which is aware is pure and it's bright and it's something to trust and it's your refuge. 